We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 94 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Got a packed show for you guys today. We're talking South Carolina baseball, taking on the Vanderbilt Commodores this weekend at Founders Park. Full series preview of my predictions on the series. Also, one of South Carolina's key arms for the 2020 season is officially transferring. We'll dive into that. Also, Ray Tanner gets an extension. Other news and notes regarding the football team next year's draft. We also have a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks tight end Busta Anderson. I know that you're sure to enjoy. Uh, Before we get into all that, this is a podcast presented to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. You guys hear me talk about them a lot. SeatGeek, the best ticket buying app by far, the only ticket buying app that I use. They make ticket buying super, super simple for you guys. No matter what you're going to, whether you're trying to catch a baseball game this weekend, any South Carolina Gamecocks events you need tickets to, um, NBA, NHL, NFL, uh, anything and everything you can buy tickets to. Also, concerts, comedy club events. It doesn't have to be sports. Please be sure to go download SeatGeek. Use our promo code SPURSUP to get $10 off your first purchase. They make su- ticket buying super simple. Again, they actually rate the tickets based on a ticket rating system. So you know exactly what you're getting before you click buy. You know if you're getting a really, really good deal, if you're getting a steal, or if, you know, if, if you're getting kind of ripped off over paying for the tickets. So again, that's our friends over at SeatGeek. Go download the SeatGeek app. Use our promo code that SPURSUP, S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to get $10 off your first purchase. All right, let's get into it. Appreciate you guys tuning in. I'm Chris Phillips, your host of the Spurs Up Show, as always, coming to you. Uh, happy to have you join. We've got a packed show again, talking some baseball, a lot of football talk as well. Uh, your listener questions, obviously, like I mentioned, a fantastic interview with Busta Anderson coming up soon as well. Um, very, very excited. I hope you guys all had a fantastic week. Again, very, very excited to talk some South Carolina baseball, South Carolina host Vanderbilt this upcoming weekend. One thing I wanted to touch on really quickly because um, <clears throat> I've always been very open and honest with the fan base and the fans, the, the fans of the Spurs Up show, fans of mine. Um, you know, one thing, I, and I'll be honest, trying to take the Spurs Up show to the next level, I, I've, again, just kind of abruptly putting it out there, you know, t- definitely trying to take the Spurs Up show to the next level, make it something that's self-sufficient for me. Obviously, I, you guys know I put a ton of time and effort and everything and everything we do from social media to our actual posts to articles to the podcast, the Daily Crow, to everything. Um, and obviously the stuff that I do, it takes up time. It takes up my personal money, things of that nature. 
Um, we have a Patreon page set up if you guys want to help support the Spurs Up show. Obviously, again, we're only going to go as far as our fans can take us. So, again, not uh, not telling anybody they have to go do anything, but if you feel so inclined you to to, uh, to help out what we're doing, what I'm trying to push, what I'm trying to build with the Spurs Up show, we do have a Patreon page. Just look up the Spurs Up show on Patreon. Also, if you know of any businesses that you know of that uh, you think could benefit from from sponsoring or from advertising with the Spurs Up show, please be sure to send them my way, the Spurs Up show at gmail.com. Also, if they want to contact us or me via social media, I would obviously love to talk with them. I'm in talk with some other places right now, obviously, about potential sponsorship. And, you know, I set a target date for myself, I think, beginning of 2019 that I really thought January 2020, I think, is when the Spurs Up show will be completely self sufficient because, obviously, for those of you who don't know, you know, during the entire time I've had a separate job as well. And, you know, things of that nature. It's kind of funny the people that come up to me and think this is my full-time paid gig already. It's not. I've made a few, you know, a few dollars here and there from some merch sales and things of that nature, but obviously trying to get it off the ground and get it going full speed. So appreciate you guys' support. Obviously, you guys, are, you know, I think the Spurs Up Show has the best fans. We've got the most loyal fans as far as South Carolina outlets are concerned. But uh, if you do feel so inclined, again, we've got a Patreon page. If you know of any businesses that could benefit from uh, from advertising with us, obviously send them our way. Send them my way. would love to uh, – would love to have those conversations. And if you haven't done so, obviously follow the Spurs Up Show on social media. Go leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you're listening to us right now. Do, do me a favor, five seconds, leave us a five-star review. It just helps other people find us and helps spread the good word of the Spurs Up Show. All right, like I said, let's get into it. Um, we'll start with the baseball team. <clears throat> South Carolina taking on the Vanderbilt Commodores this weekend. Commodores coming to Columbia to Founders Park. South Carolina again coming into this one. 24 and 20 overall, 5 and 16 in the SEC. No midweek game this week, I think, which is a good thing for South Carolina. Um, being able to rest up and kind of get ready for the series. You know, I'll be honest with you guys. Overall, I look at this series and, you know, Vanderbilt comes in this one ranked number four in the country. They're 35 and 9 overall, uh, 15 and 6 in the SEC. So really have had, you know, the opposite type of season that South Carolina's had. You know, South Carolina season has been a complete struggle. Meanwhile, Vandy is one of the best teams in the country and a team that I could certainly see getting to Omaha. I'll be completely honest with you guys. I, I see this series being a complete mismatch. And, again, I'm not trying to be negative and, you know, continue to, to rain on the, on the baseball team's parade. But I really just see this as a huge mismatch. I mean, you look at Vanderbilt statistically, um, they're hitting 321 as a team, which is number one in the SEC. South Carolina hitting 233 as a team, which is last in the SEC. Um, you know, Gamecocks with a 4.69 ERA, 12th in the SEC. Vanderbilt with a 3.817 ERA, which is 7th in the SEC. Um, you break it down even further, again, Vanderbilt leading in batting average, slugging percentage, on base percentage. Um, they're third in runs scored. They're second in hits, uh, second in RBI. And oh, oh, by the way, they're actually just two home runs behind South Carolina at 61 home runs. So even – even South Carolina with the huge, I guess, lead they got on that as far as hitting home runs. Vanderbilt has caught up to South Carolina in that statistic as well. I just think it's a major mismatch. I mean, again, I don't think it's a surprise to anyone that's been that's been following this baseball team or has been following – who knows college baseball. Obviously, Vanderbilt is a very, very good team this year, have phenomenal arms. Um, obviously, they've got the bats to go with it. I mean, you look at their lineup right now. Austin Martin hitting 413 on the season. They've got guys hitting 350, 337, 336, 329, 323. South Carolina, meanwhile, doesn't have a single guy hitting over 300. So, you know, uh, and they're going to throw three guys out there. I mean, you know, you, you look at some of these starting records. Sick, you know, Mason Hickman, 6-0. and 
205 ERA. Patrick Raby, Raby 7 and 1, 277 ERA. Drake Fellows, 9 and 0, 3.67 ERA. Those are their main three starters. I mean, they're the weekend guys. You know, it's going to be tough sledding for South Carolina this weekend. I think it's going to be big for South Carolina to just make this a competitive series. If they can take one game, I think, honestly, and I, again, I hate to be that negative, but to be realistic and just to be honest with you, I think if South Carolina can take one of three, you almost have to be happy from that standpoint. Again, I hate to say that because, you, you know, you are at home. You're at Founders Park. Again, I don't know how much that's really going to play into it, though, because I don't expect a big crowd just because of the way the season has gone. But – um, I just see a major mismatch here. I see a major, major mismatch. Two teams that are completely on completely different trajectories as, as of this season, for sure. Um, two teams with completely different rosters. The guys that are depending on Vanderbilt, more of a team with experience. South Carolina obviously throwing a bunch of young guys, got a bunch of young guys in their lineup, depending on the guys that were unpro- – depending on a bunch of guys that are unproven, basically, or were unproven coming in the season. Um, so, for this series, just to give a prediction, I've got Vanderbilt honestly sweeping. I, I've got Vanderbilt sweeping at worst, taking two of three. I don't see any way that South Carolina wins this series. I will say this: just the way this team has played and the way they have, um, I don't know, I guess sort of surprised us, if you will. Uh, it'd be ironic if this was the series that South Carolina won to get their first SEC series win, but I, I just don't see it. You've got the three games. Friday night at 7 on SEC Network Plus, Saturday night at 8 p.m. on ESPNU, so a late start on Saturday, and then Sunday at 1.30 on SEC Network Plus. So, hey, if nothing else, you get two home games or two night games this weekend at Founders Park. But, yeah, I just <clears throat> I, I don't see a scenario in which South Carolina is really able to hang in there and make this a competitive series. I've got Vandy, honestly, taking the sweep and coming out of Columbia with three more SEC wins. So, I think uh, – Obviously, it'd be great to see South Carolina battle and see if they can find something here late in the season just to take into next year, um, build some momentum. Momentum is always good, but overall, I just don't see it. Um, some other big news that came out of the South Carolina baseball program this week that I want to touch on, um, and it wasn't good news for South Carolina. Gamecocks ran a pitcher, Logan Chapman, who has been out this season with a with a Tommy John surgery. He announces he is transferring, entered his name in the transfer portal, I think an announcement that definitely took people by surprise was definitely shocking. I know I was, I was floored when I saw this news. And obviously, it is, it is a huge blow for South Carolina. Um, Logan Chapman, a guy that threw a ton in 2018 as a true freshman, um, threw a lot of quality good innings for South Carolina, I thought, especially in the midweek. Um, you know, was expected to be a huge contributor and possibly even a weekend rotation guy. He gets hurt, has Tommy John surgery, um, but was expected to fully come, recover and come back and be a guy in 2020 that you could really depend on and be a guy for South Carolina that was going to help that weekend rotation. He is now gone. He is now leaving. Um, and, again, I, I'm just shocked. I'm floored. I'm floored. You know, I, I would love to – you know, I, I, it's always scary. <clears throat> it's always scary when a kid is transferring or when a kid um, – makes a decision like this because obviously the first knee-jerk reaction of people on social media is to jump to conclusions and say things about the kid, which I, I think is, again, that's a slippery slope. And that's not really the side of social media I want to be on because I think every kid's got a story. I mean, listen, if he's leaving because of, you know, if he's leaving because of some personal issues or family issues, like you just never know a kid's story. Um, it, it feels like it's very poor timing simply because South Carolina is just in the middle of you know, one of the worst, if not the worst season they've had in 20-plus years. Um, I mean, it's obviously terrible timing in that regard. But overall, again, it's a huge blow for South Carolina going into 2020. I will say from sources, from people that I've talked to within the program, I've heard that it's been more of a situation 
um, or what it sounds like is it's more of a situation of where the coaching staff actually spoke to Logan Chapman and more so told him it would probably be in, in his best interest to transfer. Again, that's just things that I've heard, nothing confirmed. And I don't know why that would be the case, seeing as he was a guy that last year, you know, coming into this year, you really felt like was going to be one of your dudes. So that would be very surprising to me. But again, that's just things I've heard through the grapevine. Again, not 100% sure. But I don't know if we'll ever really, because with baseball, it's a lot different. Um, you know, I'm sure that Mark Kingston will be asked about it. Um, I'm not sure he's really going to, you know, give us any insight or any news or anything we didn't already know. But Logan Chapman transferring again, a, a, just a when it rains, it pours, I guess, for South Carolina. And this 2019 season has been abysmal. And obviously just adding that in, rubbing salt in the wound is what it feels like to have a guy like Logan Chapman deciding to transfer him. A guy, again, that, you know, you you think in the 2020 would would have factored into, at worst, the midweek rotation. Um, and certainly a guy I think that could have been a big piece and a big arm in the 2020 staff. So overall, obviously a huge loss for South Carolina. Again, Logan Chapman transferring. Um, entering his name in the transfer portal. All right, uh, let's move to some other news and notes. Ray Tanner gets an extension. I talked about this a little bit on social media. This one was very, very, very surprising. And, you know, we talked in the last episode just about, you know, what is Ray Tanner's future at South Carolina and how important is it, you know, next year's athletic academic year, if you will. Um, and listen, I, I'm <clears throat> the one thing I want to clarify is like when I was asking the questions to fans on social media, I, I'm not the guy who wants to stir the rape the fire Ray Tanner pot. I've really never understood the whole fire Ray Tanner situation with fans, because to me, I don't think the hires that he's made have been bad. And at the end of the day, he's not the one making the coaching decisions on the field necessarily. So, I mean, you know, I, I don't, I'm not one of the, these fans that it just seems a little ridiculous. Like when South Carolina loses a series or loses a game to Clemson, they're a, Ray Tanner, Ray Tanner. Well, I mean, Ray Tanner's not the one that threw that pitch. Ray Tanner's not the one that set the lineup even. So, I mean, I don't want to stir the pot on the fire Ray Tanner discussion. However, I do want to say that in any business, the CEO, the person in charge gets way too much of the credit when things go, go well, and he gets way too much of the blame when things don't. That's with any position of power. I've talked about that with Jake Bentley in the quarterback position with head coaches, really any position of power is like that. Um, so to me, to see Ray Tanner get an extension after what has happened while he has been athletic director, which is nothing terrible, I guess you could say. But, you know, I could argue that South Carolina in one of its worst stretches as far as this past year of the big three sports. I mean, again, the football program right now is, you know, I'd just say average, um, but it, it obviously hurts when you've lost five, six in a row, whatever, to Kentucky, to your biggest rivals in Clemson, to Georgia, to Texas A&M. In the midst of that, it feels like you're painfully average, if you will. Basketball missing the postseason two years in a row. Baseball, obviously, great first year for Mark Kingston, but having one of your worst seasons probably in the past 20, 30 years um, this season. So, to me, the extension, <clears throat> getting the extension was very surprising. Um, you know, I, I thought that was surprising that Ray Tanner got the extension. I, I think, again, I, I, I stick to my guns what I said on the last show, that I think this upcoming year – this upcoming athletic year, 2019 to 2020, is going to be huge for the future of Ray Tanner, if you will. I mean, I, I love Ray Tanner. I think everybody does for what he did with the baseball program and stuff like that. But I, I know there were more than a couple of people that thought maybe he was a little bit in over his head taking the athletic director's job. And, um, 
you know, that, that, again, that's what surprised me. I mean, I think somebody on social media said, I mean, is Ray Tanner some sought after guy? We're really scared of him leaving. Like what's the, you know, what, what's the, what's the purpose of the extension, I guess. And I sort of tend to agree. I mean, again, I, I love Ray Tanner and, you know, I don't think he's done anything to necessarily be called for firing. I just, again, I'm not one of those guys where I look at the AD every time something goes wrong on the field or whatever, but you know, has he, at the same time, I don't think Ray Tanner's truly done anything as athletic director to warrant any type of extension, if you will. So, I don't know. Just just an interesting piece of news this week overall. I mean, again, I, I don't – again, I, my last goal is to, to stir the fire Ray Tanner pot, if you will. But I think something that's very, very interesting – again, and I, I still stick to my guns what I said at the last show, that this next upcoming athletics year is going to be huge, huge for Ray Tanner's future. Um, some football news and notes. Glad to be talking football again. Obviously, I, I don't know if you guys knew this, but I don't have the date pulled up. But sometime this month, we're going to hit the 100 days from kickoff mark. Going to have some exciting stuff, obviously, talking football because football season never ends in the state of South Carolina. But definitely when the, when the countdown gets to 100 days and less, uh, it gets very, very fun, obviously. So going to have something for that. I'm very excited. But let's talk some football. South Carolina football projected to go to the Gator Bowl by Brad Crawford, good friend of ours, friend of the show. Um, Gamecocks projected to make the Gator Bowl. I think he had South Carolina playing Penn State. Um, overall, again, obviously, these preseason projections right now really don't mean anything, but I thought it was very interesting because if South Carolina is in the Gator Bowl, you're most likely looking at them being a 7-5 and five team this year. And I don't think there are many fans with South Carolina's schedule that would not take a 7-5 and five record. That was the one thing I thought that stood out to me. Again, the Gator Bowl Gamecocks haven't been to the Gator Bowl since 1987. So, overall, it would be a fantastic bowl game to go to. I know it was one that South Carolina was clamoring for last year and looking back. Man, you really wish they'd went to Gator Bowl over the Belt Bowl. <laughs> Just looking back to how that all played out. But overall, yeah, Brad Crawford, again, very well-respected national college ball writer and a friend of our show has got the Gamecocks going to the Gator Bowl next season. Again, I think would be a great accomplishment, a great achievement um, for South Carolina, especially with the tough schedule that they have that's been rated by many as the, uh, the toughest schedule in the country going into this next season. Um, one thing I want to touch on as well, something I posted, uh, Josh Kendall of the state newspaper went on the Paul Feinbaum show. Um, he talked about sort of this upcoming season for South Carolina, really the future for Will Muschamp. I'll read the quote here. Quote, 2020 is the big year for Will Muschamp. 2019 is about survival on the field to set up what in 2020 is kind of a prove it year for Muschamp. Um, and that raised the question to me, you know, I, I raised to fans, is 2020 a make or break year? for Will Muschamp, in your opinion? Because I think that Will Muschamp, listen, I, I think South Carolina, I think Will Muschamp, unless things really go south, and I, I saw someone predicting on Twitter, South Carolina could be a nine or ten loss team in 2019. I don't buy that. I think that's complete bogus. I think there's way too much talent on this South Carolina team, unless you start factoring injuries or things just really, shit really just hits the fan. But, um, you know, I, I think South Carolina and Will Muschamp will, will almost get a pass because of the schedule, because of if the schedule sticks to what we think it is right now, which three, you know, the top three teams in the country, people are saying five or six top ten teams, stuff like that. If South Carolina goes seven and five, a lot of people are going to say it's a success for Will Muschamp. Um, and I, I'll answer my own question. Do I think 2020 is a make or break year for Will Muschamp? You know, not necessarily. I, I've said this before. I think you give Will Muschamp the entire Ryan Helensky era, the Luke Doty era, if you will. I, I just, unless things really, really start to go south. I mean, the only thing that I'm really looking for is just constant improvement. 
constant growth in the program. I mean, as long as you're doing that, I don't see how you can really fire a guy. Um, now, I will say 2019, you know, I think that, you know, not all six and sixes and seven and fives are all built the same. Not all those records, not all those seasons are built the same. I think South Carolina for 2019, you know, you need to see your you need to see South Carolina beat Kentucky. Uh, beat Kentucky. I think that's a given. Um, you need to see South Carolina break out against a top twenty five team. I mean, that's that's a huge thing in my opinion. Listen, I mean, is it really just going to be good enough to go through twenty nineteen and you know beat the teams that I guess you should beat and have one inexcusable loss and <clears throat> just lose to everybody else that has a pulse basically and go six and six? I I just don't see how that can be considered a good season. I mean, I know again you look at the schedule and. It is daunting, but I mean, if you're South Carolina, if you're Will Muschamp and you're the South Carolina football program, eventually you have to step up and win a game that maybe you're just not supposed to win. At some point, that has to happen. Um, So, I mean, again, the thing with me, I just want to see constant growth in the football program. I think we have seen that. South Carolina's bringing in more and more talent. I will say to you guys, and maybe this is just me talking out the side of my neck and just – you know, maybe I don't mean this 100%, but I, I've talked to some other people. They've asked me about what I'm, what I'm looking forward to or what I'm looking for in the 2019 season. I've told people straight up, and they've asked me my opinions on Will Muschamp, and I like Will Muschamp a lot. I think he's a good football coach. Um, I think as long as he stays away from the offense and lets, lets Brian McClendon do his thing, which I think last year was a, was a good first year for Brian McClendon as play caller, um, I think South Carolina will be, will be fine. But I can tell you this. If South Carolina finds a way to lose to Kentucky for a sixth straight year in a row, my patience with Will Muschamp will be damn near its end. I will be just about done with the Will Muschamp era. Again, that's probably me talking out the side of my neck. That's probably me overreacting. But I can tell you that that Kentucky game is the biggest absolute must win for the South Carolina 2019 football season. But overall, to answer the question, is 2020 a make or break year for Muschamp? I don't think so necessarily unless, again, unless things really go bad. If you see South Carolina go 5-7 and seven this year and, like, five and seven the next yes I I, I think if South Carolina does if South Carolina misses a bowl game um this season and again I understand the schedule is daunting I get it but one thing about the schedule that I find interesting we're all assuming that all the teams on the schedule I, I would be willing to bet you at least one of the teams that we're looking at on South Carolina's schedule that we think is going to be you know oh they're so good I think we'll have a disappointing year I mean out of you know, listen, the Clemsons, the Georgias, the Bamas, they're going to be who they are. But, I mean, you can't tell me that out of Texas A&M, Florida, Tennessee. I mean, not all those teams are going to be powerhouses. Those are games South Carolina can certainly win. Um, you know, so uh, overall, you know, I, I think unless Will Mus- – if Will Muschamp misses a bowl game, I think if South Carolina goes any worse than six and six, I think 2020 becomes – I think it'll be important no matter what because, again, we need to, we need to see – that progression and that growth from this football program. I mean, no matter what, 2020 is going to be a big year, and it's going to be a year you think about it. You're going to be breaking in a new quarterback no matter what, whether it's Ryan Holinsky to carry on Jordan or Luke Doty even. Um, you're going to be breaking in a new quarterback. You're losing Brian Edwards. You know, it's going to be a lot of new faces. I mean, it's going to be – it's really going to be, you think, a, the start of a new era of South Carolina football because, I mean, from the literally the first year to now to throughout this season, it's going to be the Jake Bentley era basically. I mean, you think – halfway through Will Muschamp's first season to now. It's all been Jake Bentley, and it will continue to be Jake Bentley throughout this 2019 season. So, you know, I, I, I it'll be very important, I think, again in 2020, but I don't think it is a make-or-break year for Will Muschamp's job unless things just really 
really get out of control, which obviously we hope does not happen. Um, let's move. And obviously the NFL draft just happened. Saw an article online. I mean, let me pull it up really quickly so I can give credit to the guy who wrote it. But uh, it was, let me see here. Here we go. Chris Trapasso. So he's a CBS Sports NFL draft writer. He actually just released an article ranking his top 100 big board players for the 2020 NFL draft. Some notable Gamecocks in there as Javon Kinlaw comes in at seventh overall. Brian Edwards at 40th overall. Javon Kinlaw, a guy that has not been talked about quite enough, I think. I'll be interested to see how much he gets hyped up and talked about this season. Brian Edwards, a guy that I'm certainly not surprised is among that top 100, a guy that I think could have left this year and been probably a third or fourth round guy. Um, obviously very, very happy both those guys are back in school. But, yeah, I, I definitely think Javon Kinlaw has an opportunity to have a very, very, very big year for South Carolina. Again, I, I think a guy that was a little too inconsistent, you know, someone that we saw flashes of. You think of the Vanderbilt game last year where he really just physically manhandled that Vanderbilt offensive line and a guy that, you know, was able to make his presence felt. He definitely had some situations last year and some um, – some key moments where he made big plays. A guy, again, that I would like to see some more consistency out of, just really bringing it every single week or putting up those numbers, if you will. Not not questioning his passion or work ethic or his motor, if you will, but just a guy that you'd like to see more consistently be a force. Um, and I think he'll definitely have the chance to do that. I mean, we obviously knew when he got on campus this was, this was a guy, especially once he lost all that weight and got in shape. I mean, this is a guy that has an NFL body that's going to make a lot of money and play for a long time on Sundays. Um, Brian Edwards, obviously, with the opportunity this year to be the number one wide receiver for South Carolina, I think he'll have a fantastic year. He's probably going to leave with a couple of receiving records at South Carolina. I think he'll have a great year. And uh, overall, fully expect Brian Edwards to be, you know, if I had to guess, the 2020 NFL draft, I think there's a guy that can certainly go near where Debo Samuel went, second round. Um, I think it's kind of a stretch to be putting him in the first round. South Carolina offensively would have to have a fantastic year, and that would include Jake Bentley. Um, but overall, yeah, I think Brian Edwards, again, definitely they, they got it right with those two guys. And these are got two guys I think will certainly have an opportunity to have a huge, huge final season in Garnet and Black. Um, let's move into listener questions. Not a ton of listener questions tonight. Only have one, actually. This comes from snack underscore boy on Instagram. What kind of turnaround do you think the Yardcocks will need to make a regional? Um, I hate to disappoint you, snack boy, but unfortunately there is no turnaround right now that would get South Carolina in the postseason unless they won the SEC tournament. That is absolutely the only way. Again, I mean, this is, <laughs> you know, this is a team where I feel like I'm just wasting my breath even saying it, but hypothetically in a crazy world of South Carolina were able to sweep all three of their remaining series, get to get to 14 and 16, they'd have a chance, but that's not going to happen. And it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. I mean, South, again, I think South Carolina, if they win one game this weekend, will be lucky. Um, you're going to have an opportunity against Kentucky, obviously, to get that, that series win you've been looking for in SEC play the following weekend. They, South Carolina plays Kentucky at Founders Park. So definitely going to be a good opportunity. I feel like it's going to be one that you have to win. You know, I mean, South Carolina is more so – South Carolina is more so at this point just fighting for, um, you know, trying to make the SEC tournament. I mean, that's the thing. They've got to win the SEC tournament. They've got to get in the damn SEC tournament. I mean, South Carolina right now – South Carolina, Kentucky, and Alabama all sit at 5-16. and 16. Now, Only the top 12 teams get in the SEC tournament. Um, those three teams all sit at 5-16, and 16, and Alabama holds the tiebreaker over South Carolina because they won the series earlier this season. Um, <clears throat> so, overall, you know, South Carolina and Kentucky see themselves on the outside looking in. 
So what is South Carolina going to do? Because I think South Carolina, Kentucky will probably be the series to whoever loses that series will finish the season in the cellar. I mean, that's just, you know, I don't think there's really any other way to put it. Um, but overall, yeah, I, the only way that South Carolina could get to the postseason at this point, they'd have to get in the SEC tournament and win the SEC tournament. And I'll be completely honest with you guys, I don't see that happening in any way, shape, or form. But, uh, yeah, sorry, Snack Boy. Sorry to rain on your parade. But overall, um, good show today. Good show. Again, a lot of football. A lot, very, very excited. We're talking a lot of football now. I'm very excited about that. Got a fantastic interview uh, with former Gamecocks tight end Rory Busta Anderson upcoming again. Please stay tuned. You guys are going to really, really enjoy that. Got really deep in de- detail with his career, not only at South Carolina, but the, in the NFL, at AAF as well, which just you just closed shop. Um, he's trying to play football still. A very awesome interview. A lot of good Steve Spurrier stories. And obviously Busta there from 2011 to 2014. So, I mean, you can – South Carolina fans can certainly, certainly remember all of the memorable games that Busta Anderson was a part of with those South Carolina Gamecocks teams. Obviously, um, three straight years of 11 wins. I mean, beating Clemson for five years in a row. Uh, some memorable, memorable games as well, memorable moments and definitely contributions that he made in Garnet and Black as well. Um, it's an interview brought to you by our friends again over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket buying app by far. The only one that I use, I talk about them a ton. That's because they give such good deals out in the best ticket buying app because they rate the tickets for you based on a ticket rating system. To me, that's one of the best parts. You know exactly what you're buying before you get it. You go into the app. They download the app first, SeatGeek. But you go into that app. They actually tell you whether you're getting a really, really good deal based on what the, mar- what the market is selling it at or – they let you know if you're overpaying for the tickets. So you're never going to get feel, feel like you're getting robbed on tickets again. You're, no, you're going to know exactly what you're getting before you click the buy button. It's really that simple. Again, go download SeatGeek. Use our promo code SPURSUP. That's S-P-U-R-S-U-P, one word. Use that promo code SPURSUP to save $10 off your first purchase. Again, they have tickets to everything you can think of, not only sports, concerts, comedy club events, you name it again. So if you're looking for tickets to anything, Download SeatGeek, use the promo code SPURSUP, and save $10 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks tight end Busta Anderson. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2011 to 2014, was also taken in the 2015 NFL draft in the seventh round uh, by the San Francisco 49ers. want to welcome to the show former Gamecocks tight end, Busta Anderson. Busta, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. I definitely appreciate y'all having me on, man. How Absolutely. you doing? Yeah, doing well, doing well. Appreciate you taking the time, man. I want to jump right into it, going back to your high school days. Obviously, you're a kid out of Marietta, Georgia, was a pretty highly regarded recruit. Uh, just talk about sort of your your recruitment overall and what led you to come to South Carolina. Well, for me, I decided to to stay close to home. I had a couple of buddies that I played in high school with and um, a buddy that I played growing up with. And we all kind of made a a group decision to come on over to South Carolina. They were uh, on the upcoming. You know, they had just recently went to the SEC championship. And then they actually had beat Alabama the year before I got there when Alabama was number one. So just looking back at it, just, you know, evaluating the, I guess my top three teams at that time, I felt like South Carolina was the best best school as far as academically. And then, you know, being in the SEC was somewhere close to home that I wanted to stay. Absolutely. So when you came into South Carolina, you know, I know you were a very high-end recruit again. You know, what was the plan? Were you always – did you know you were going to be a tight end? Were you more of a wide receiver? I mean, what was – 
what was kind of the plan or the plan for you specifically in Steve Spurrier's offense when you got to South Carolina? I mean, I knew I was recruited as a tight end. I mean, I felt like I, I was able to do both um, throughout my career. And going in, you know, I was I, I guess I was highly recruited, but also I felt like the coaches wanted me to develop a year. And then once I got out there, camp rolled around, I added on some weight. I felt pretty good, and things ended up working out in my favor. Absolutely. So, yeah, your freshman season, I would definitely say you had a ton of success. Um, had three touchdowns that first season. Just talk about sort of, you know, what, what do you think led to that early success so early on in your South Carolina career? Uh, just just building that confidence around the guys and, you know, establishing myself as a, as a guy on the team. You know, coming in as a young guy, it's hard to just come in and think, you know, that you're going to be the guy just like you were previously in high school. Now you're starting back at the bottom, you know, just gaining respect from your teammates and coaches and eventually being able to, you know, go on, move forward and do what I did. No doubt. So, obviously, like I mentioned before, you played for a Hall of Famer, you know, legendary head coach and Steve Spurrier. Um, what was your relationship like with him, you know, not only as a player, not only on the field, but off the field and currently as well? Um, overall, Steve Spurs was a great guy, wonderful coach. Loved being around him. Uh, I actually got a got a chance to catch up with him probably about a month and a half ago. I ran into him um, when I was previously playing in the AAF when we um, when we played him. I was playing with the Birmingham Iron before everything shut down, and uh, just got a chance to catch up with him. I mean, we had a great relationship. He was exactly who you think he is. You know, he's a guy that likes to talk junk, you know, mess around. And obviously he's a player's coach. If, you know, if nobody else tells you, he's a 100% player's coach. He's always looking out for the best interest of the players. No doubt. So 2011, your freshman season, you know, was not only eventful for you, but obviously for South Carolina. Like you said, South Carolina coming off the uh, 2010 SEC East crown, first time going to Atlanta for the SEC championship. And obviously there were a ton of expectations. Um, Steven Garcia comes into play, obviously the starting quarterback that season um, is dismissed a couple of games through the season. And Connor Shaw takes over. What, what was that like, you know, for you as someone on the offense, what was that transition like going from, um, Steven Garcia to Connor Shawman, did it affect your game at all or what, what, what you were trying to do or what was that like? Um, I think that, you know, during, during the time, it, it was tough on everybody, you know, with, with any team, no matter, you know, no matter if it's, you know, football, basketball, the guy who's supposed to be one of the leaders on your team has to exit the team. And now a new guy's fulfilling that role and becoming the leader. It was it was a turn turn of events for us, but it worked out for the better. Looking back at it, I mean things things tend to happen for a reason, and I mean I'm not sure why that happened at that time, but I think that kind of turned us right around. For sure. What what was it like playing for? Obviously, you played with him for a couple of years, but what was it like playing for a guy like Connor Shaw or playing with a guy like Connor Shaw? I mean, just a, such a guy that's a, such a a leader on the field and off the field for you guys. Oh yeah, Connor, Connor just likes Coach Spur. Great guy, great leader, and I think that you know he's a guy that leads by example. Earlier on in our career, he was not a guy who was very vocal, but he he knew how to lead his team. You know, with his play, with the way he presented himself, 
with the things that he did in the community. And I think that that that's the kind of guy that any coach, any other player will want on their team. You know, not everybody, not everybody's the the vocal leader, but some some of those guys who are the vocal leader don't lead by example. And I think as as the years went on and as he grew and felt more comfortable as, as the guy, he developed more of a, I would say, a leadership role off the field, in a sense. Not saying that he didn't have that type of role. He just wasn't a vocal guy. <clears throat> right. So, so I think that I think that we all learned from the way he led us throughout those years, through all the tough times, through all the up and downs, you know, the injuries, all those we sat back and watched him and learned from what he did. For sure. So obviously you're a guy from Marietta, Georgia. I'll ask, did you grow up a Georgia fan or who was the, uh, who, who was the school you were pulling for as you were growing up, if any? Uh, I would say that I probably was a Georgia fan, but I honestly, I honestly never really had a college team growing up. Mm. And, you know, it's crazy to think that, you know, back before I even thought about South Carolina, I actually had watched South Carolina uh, a few games. I started to, I started to get a, become attracted to South Carolina, and it was something that that uh, that inter- interests me because I'm like I wanted to leave the state. I didn't want to stay too close to home. And then as I started to watch watch South Carolina play, I, I recognized Coach Spurry was the was the head coach. I said, okay, they got something good going over going over in Columbia. So as as you know, my career went on in high school. Then I. Finally went into Coach Mangus, which he was my recruiter from South Carolina. He's also um, a guy from Marietta. So that connection worked out pretty well. So it was just something – it was no-brainer for me. Yeah, for sure. I was going to say, you know, you, you were able to beat those guys three of the four years you were there. Um, you know, I just thinking back, you know, obviously I want to dive into some more detail, especially you think of the 2012 game and – the 2014 mm-hmm. game certainly stand. 2011 as well was a crazy, crazy game. But how much, how satisfying was it? I guess to, you know, be able to go into, uh, you know, you know, beat your home state's uh, home state's team. It was it was amazing. I think that each and every year that we played Georgia, it was just a different feeling for me and almost half our team because we had a lot of guys from right here in the Atlanta area, Georgia, Georgia natives. So, I mean, each and every year we played Georgia, we knew that it was either us or them coming out the East majority of the time. And I think that, you know, that provided extra motivation for us and as well as, you know, bringing our families up to those games meant a lot for us. So, I mean, playing Georgia every year, beating them three out of four years, I couldn't, I couldn't ask it to be any other way. I mean, we, we honestly, we dominated them throughout my career all but one year. So I'm I'm pretty satisfied with the with the um outcome of that. Yeah, and I was gonna say another team that you dominated as well was the Clemson Tigers. You beat them three out of the four years you were there as well <laughs> and finished up to five in a row in two thousand thirteen. But um you mm-hmm. had great games against them. You know, I think instantly your freshman year, twenty eleven, you had a in that game two catches for fifty seven yards and a touchdown, both coming on the same drive. You had the uh the long play that I think, you know, stands out for a lot of South Carolina fans where you, you get about 20 yards down the field, looks like you're just going to drift out of bounds. I remember specifically you listened to Todd Ellis on the, uh, you know, the play-by-play, and he, he almost is assuming the play is over. You spin out of it and somehow tiptoe, stay in bounds, get down the field, and then 
I think two plays later, Connor Shaw hits you in the end zone pretty much wide open for the touchdown. But as far as the rivalry is concerned, when did you, because I'm sure a guy being out of state, you know, you weren't too, too familiar with Carolina Clemson, but when did it, when did it sink in for you that, that it was, it was bigger than just any other game? I would say probably my sophomore year. Um, just, you know, as a freshman going into, a, to a, you know, a new school, new state, a different environment, I was unaware of the Clemson-South Carolina uh, rivalry. It wasn't as big as, you know, watching the Georgia, Georgia Tech rivalry, you know, being from Georgia. So it was just something that I, I was unaware of. But, you know, as the years went on and stuff like that, I could say I, I developed a little hate for Clemson. But, you know, it's also love. And, then, you know, I commend them on what they're doing now. I mean, I, I sit back and talk to my buddies all the time. I'm like, man, it's it's crazy that, you know, Clemson is – you know, I just seen recently they're going to be the number one team coming out of the preseason. And I'm like, you know, back back when I was playing, we dominated them. You know, they, they did well in the ACC and stuff like that. But, you know, now they're just – I mean, I was shocked when they beat Alabama like they did uh, in the national championship um, this year. Yeah, I, I think a lot of South Carolina fans were for sure. But, you know, you guys, again, your freshman year, you close up winning 11 games, first time in school history, um, you know, beat Nebraska. Uh, moving to 2012, obviously, again, a lot of memorable games from your career. But the one I want to jump to, obviously, is the 2012 Georgia game. Um, you had a touchdown catch in that one, but you guys absolutely demolished Georgia 35-7. to It's college game day. It's a night game in Williams-Brice, absolutely sold out, packed to the brim. Um, you know, so many memorable plays in that game. When you think of Ace Sanders' punt return, uh, some have called it the loudest mm-hmm. Williams Bryce has ever been. Just kind of talk about what you remember from, you know, not just that game, but that entire day, that entire experience. If I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, that was also the the game that we had um, some lightning delays. That was so, 2014, because I remember you called that it. That was 2014? Yeah, that was, that was 2014. Okay, okay, that, that was 2014. So, <clears throat> leading up to that, the sophomore year against Georgia, you know, we had just – we had beat them the previous year, and it came down to us and them. We had lost another game in the – to an SEC West team, which, you know, uh, missed our chances of going to the SEC championship, although we had beat everybody in the East. And we had only lost to two West teams. Georgia left a bad taste in our mouth uh, the previous year because we had beat them. Then, you know, we beat them again, you know, sophomore year. Now now we're, you know, that game was hands down the greatest game I've ever played in. The, from the atmosphere to the, to the team camaraderie before the games, just the whole field was just surreal. I mean, it was a night game. I think we were – the number three team in the country at that time, so yeah. we had a we had a lot we had a lot going for us, and uh, that game was just it was just so unbelievable. It, w- it went by so fast. All I all I remember from that from that game is is the touchdown I caught in the left end zone, left corner of the end zone by the scoreboard. I mean, it was right over top. We ran wide drag. And it was just it broke wide wide open. I think Ace or, Ace or Bruce might have set like a little pick. I came across and kind of threw it right over the shoulder, and I just walked into the end zone. I mean, and go ahead. I was just saying, was that a night where you guys? I mean, did you know you had a great game plan going in that game? Was it? An, I mean, did you 
Did you expect a blow? I mean, I, I, did you expect a blowout like that? I mean, it just seemed that game got out of hand so fast, and from there, obviously, it was just domination all night. Oh yeah, not not at all. We didn't. I mean, we expected them to come out and fight just as just as they do every year that we play them. I mean, we didn't expect to blow them out. We thought it was going to be you know a down to the wire type of game like it like it usually is. But we just had that extra fire up underneath, up underneath our belt, and you know had had a bad taste in our mouth from last year and we said we we come out here and you know play to the best of our ability and everything else will handle the rest and I think that night everything came together from offense to defense to special teams I mean everything went perfect for us I mean Georgia didn't even score till maybe under three minutes left in the fourth quarter so I mean from start to finish we dominated that game yeah I, I remember being a little little a little selfishly upset that Georgia got the touchdown. I really wanted the shutout there, but uh, no, obviously a, a exactly. short game for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. You know, we we was all pretty upset when they scored at the end, <laughs> but you know, we was like, you know, we we dominated. We we did what we need to do. We set the, we set a statement, set a tone, and then you know things went on for the rest of the year. I think that that elevated us for the rest of the year. No doubt. So, obviously, again, you played with a ton of South Carolina legends during your time at Carolina, but one specifically I know is probably close to home to you, uh, Justice Cunningham, a guy you were able to play with. I'm sure he was mentoring your mentoring you a little bit um, and someone that was uh, – it's funny, I always remember because he was Mr. Irrelevant in the NFL draft, but a guy that certainly wasn't irrelevant at South Carolina. I mean, made tons and tons of big plays for Carolina. And Really, I think the thing that stands out, uh, not just me, but other South Carolina fans, is the passion and drive he played with on the field. I mean, I think everybody thinks of him in the uh, the play against Vanderbilt where he got – I guess he got decked and got up, shook his dread. <laughs> I knew exactly you. I knew yeah. That's one everybody goes back to because it's just like, wow, this guy is – you know, he's kind of crazy, but he's got that – he's got the fire for sure. But what, what did you learn, you know, from playing beside him or being in the same position group as him? Uh, I learned I learned uh, a lot a lot from Justice. He was uh, – a great mentor for me during during his time and my time together at South Carolina. You know, coming in as a young guy, he was a guy that was established, had um had made big plays throughout the years and was a guy that helped me, you know, understand the game, understand the pace because obviously coming, you know, straight from high school and, you know, getting thrown out there, you know, as a freshman, you know, I'm first I'm trying to, you know, remember all the plays and make sure I know all my stuff. I'm nervous. I'm excited, you know, emotions everywhere. And he was the guy that helped calm me down before the games and make sure my head was right, make sure that, you know, I was doing what I needed to do to prepare myself for these games. And, you know, learning behind him elevated me when when he left. You know, I learned a lot from in the run game, in the pass game, stuff I just, you know, as a high school kid, you don't really understand, you know. And it was amazing being behind a guy that, that's been around you know, it wasn't like me and him came in the same year. He was established at play behind other great tight ends at, at South Carolina. So he learned a good bit from, you know, other guys previously and then passed it on to me. And obviously the things that he that he already knew, he passed it on to me as well. So I just try to do the same thing for the young guys. No doubt. So I, won't, I, won't, I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but the 2012 Missouri game, I want to mention that one as well. You, got a, you caught a touchdown in that one, but the question I have for you, have you ever played in a game where your quarterback had as good of a game as Connor Shaw had that day? I think he was what 20, 20 for twenty one, completed twenty passes in a row. I mean, have you ever? Have you ever? I mean, as, he was almost perfect. Yeah, almost literally the only one. Again, the first pass of the game where I think he was trying to hit Marcus Latimer on a dump off, and it just 
just came up short. But, I mean, have you ever, you know, played a day with a quarterback that's had as good of a day as Connor Shaw did that day? Honestly, I mean, no. I mean, he could have, he could have, you know, sat back and threw the ball with his eyes closed, and he 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 would have hit anybody that day. I mean, he was just on the money. You know, things were he was in his rhythm in his zone, and I felt like that was just you know a statement game for him. I think at that time Missouri had just entered the SEC, and mm-hmm. you know it was big talk about them uh, dominating the East, being a new team, and they they did well and came in and you know made a name for themselves. So I think that was a statement game for for him and as well as for us. No doubt. So I want to go back sort of to, because again, you played in a lot of big time games at Williams Bryce. I already mentioned, you know, the Georgia game, a Sanders punt return. You're obviously on the field 2013 against Clemson. You had a pretty good game in that one. You know, I think of 2014 Georgia where you had the touchdown and uh, I forget the, the kicker's name slips my mind, but Georgia's kicker missing the field goal late. There's been a lot of talk about some of those were the, the loudest moments in Williams-Brice Stadium history. What would you say, in your opinion, if you had to pick one, would you say was the loudest you ever heard Williams-Brice get? Definitely that uh, 2012 when we played Georgia. I mean, it was, like I said, the atmosphere, everything was perfect. You know, the crowd was unbelievable. It was a night game with number three. It would never be another game that I've ever played in uh, prior to that. And after that, that has been even closer to the atmosphere. I mean, you can ask, you know, those Georgia guys from that 2012 year, and they can tell you that that was probably the loudest stadium they've ever been in. No doubt. So, another guy you were teammates with, um, kind of on a uh, – not about a negative note, but uh, Marcus Lattimore was obviously a guy you got to spend two years with and play with, obviously his season tragically ending against Tennessee um, in 2012. Just kind of talk about, you know, I guess your relationship with Marcus Lattimore and just kind of what it was like to play with a guy like that. Um, it was it was amazing. He's uh, a great leader. He's a guy that you know was always helpful to the young guys because you know being being a guy that the number one guy, you know everybody telling you the best thing since sliced bread. You wouldn't expect a guy like that to be as humble as as he as he was as he is. It's it's crazy because you know you meet a lot of guys and you know a lot of guys have big egos and that's not who he is. I mean he's a, a, a people's person. You know he puts others before before himself. You know playing with him was it reminded me of um, a buddy I played with back in high school that passed away. They had they was pretty similar and um, you know their demeanor and the way they approached the game and you know the way they their outlook on life and stuff like that. And it was just, it was almost like, man, you know, this could have been, you know, my my buddy. He could have been in his position. But, you know, things happen for a reason. And, you know, now that he's back around South Carolina helping those young guys out, you know, I think, I mean, I commend him for, for everything that he's doing because he's in the best position for himself. And as far as the the uh, the program, he needs, he needs to, ha- you know, they need to, allow him to, you know, have his hands in with them kids, you know, get his hands on those kids and get to talking to them. Because, you know, not every kid knows that, you know, maybe after these four or five years, it'll be over with. You know, maybe next year it'll be over with. Y'all got to have a plan for the future. Absolutely. So, following the 2012 season, if you will, the bowl game against Michigan, Outback Bowl, talk about the clowny hit. What You were on the sideline. What was it like seeing that hit from the sidelines? It's crazy because um, that video have has surfaced 
um, a lot recently. Uh, at least for me, it has. Um, I think the the play prior to that, they we 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 clearly got a first down, and I mean it's it's clear, and I think the ref calls it a fourth down, a turnover, something something crazy. It was an unbelievable call right before that. that yeah, they that, they went for it on fourth down, and uh, it looked like we stopped them or South Carolina stopped them short, and they gave them the first down. I remember, yeah. That's what it was. And, I mean, literally, I've, I've been seeing this video because people have been tagging me on Instagram. Like, man, you, you was upset. And then, literally, the next play, that's that's when the, the hit happened. I mean, it was so loud. I mean, the guy helmet went flying off. I mean, the whole stadium was excited. Everybody was jumping up and down the sideline. I mean, it was just – it's crazy that that hit turned out to be what it is today. I mean, honestly – Clowney made those type of plays at practice. You know what I'm saying? It's, mm. He he has done those, made those similar plays throughout his career. It was just the timing and the physicality of it. I mean, after that, I mean, didn't really hear much about the, that guy uh, that he hit after that situation. I mean, <laughs> I don't think he came back into the game after that. Mm. Did, did you I mean, ever – That was the hard – I was going to say, did, did you ever face Clowney in practice? I and mean, I know being a tight end, you know, probably wasn't always your Oh, every day. Tight. Yeah. What was that like? Every, every day. I mean, he made me a, uh, a lot better. I mean, I was a guy that, that had to develop. He was a guy that, you know, been number one guy. He, he, was al- he already had it, you know. So I used him as my motivation going, going against him every day. I mean, he beat me a lot of times. Uh, I mean, a lot of times, but I use that as, you know, as motivation. But, you know, like I said, you know, playing with that guy, going up against that guy every day at practice made me a better player, allowed me to do the things I was able to do throughout my career. I mean, I would say if I didn't have the the Clownies or the the Melvin Ingrams, the Stephans on on my team going going up against those guys on defense every single day, I, I I, I would say I probably would have never made it to the NFL. I mean, those guys helped develop me as a player, as a person. So, I, I, I give all my respects, all my commitments to those guys. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. You think back, you know, they, they say iron iron sharpens iron. I mean, certainly for you guys. I mean, you think about the defenses you guys were, were facing up against in practice every day. I mean, guys that are pro bowlers now in the NFL on that side of the ball. It's crazy when you look back and, you know, you see those names, if you will. But – you know, moving to the second half of your career at Carolina, you know, you caught eight touchdowns over your first two years, only one touchdown over your last two seasons. I know, Buster, you were a guy that battled some injuries and stuff like that. But when you take a look back, I mean, what would you say changed for you? Because, I mean, the production was still there as far as catches, yards, stuff like that. But what do you think changed for you overall as to why you weren't able to get in the end zone? Um, I just think that, you know, over the course of time, you know, we had other guys on the team, you know, that that were making plays. So I think that's just kind of how that went. I mean, I wish things would have worked out a little bit better um, from my standpoint, but I mean, I'm not a selfish guy. I'm a, I'm always, always been a team guy, team first um, before anything. So I just think that, you know, we had other guys on the team that were great players. I mean, we had Bruce Ellington, we had Nick Jones, we had Pharaoh, we had Shaq Rowland. We had playmakers on offense. We had Mike Davis. You know, if nothing was open, Connor could run. I mean, it's a lot of things that could tie to what happened with my production. 
but things worked out for us. We went 11 and two, three years straight. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, I'm happy with, with, with uh, the way my career went. I mean, obviously, you know, you have some regrets, you have some things you wish you could have, could have did differently, but you know, overall I'm satisfied. No, absolutely. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, your production from the uh, receptions and yard standpoint actually increased over those last two years, but 2013, I, I got to ask, you're probably going to hate me for asking you this, but the game at Tennessee, how in the world does Marquez North hold on to that football and Tennessee go on to win that game? I don't know. It was an unbelievable catch. I mean, literally, he caught it over the back of a defender. I mean, it was ridiculous. I mean, that 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 was now that was another another pretty pretty loud stadium that I, that I've been to as well. But I mean, they just came out and and played played us the best that, best that they could. And I mean, honestly, before that, I don't think I think that was only only game that we may have lost to Tennessee in my career, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. But that was, you know, we had beat them probably, you know, five times in the, in the past few years. So, and I know Coach Perry always, you know, that was a, always a team that he definitely wanted to beat, you know, being that he was from the Tennessee area. So, you know, with that with that crucial catch there towards the end of the game, it kind of put us away. And, you know, we just had to move forward from there. No doubt. Well, I will say you guys bounce back in a big way. Obviously, you go – it's funny. You go to Missouri the next week in a game that looked uh, – you know, prospects looked grim of winning it, obviously. I don't think Dylan Thompson played badly in that game. Just some things happened. And, you know, I don't think any South Carolina fan will ever forget Connor Shaw coming off the bench, saving the day. You guys win that game in overtime. Just talk about what you remember from that game at Missouri. Again, a game you had three catches for 38 yards, but I mean, what do you remember from that game and Connor Shaw's heroics and all the craziness that happened that night? Well, like you said, you know, nobody expected Connor to play that game. I mean, we knew he had, I think he had a knee injury, some some type of knee injury going on around that time. So that, you know, didn't allow him to play um, to start the game off. And, you know, things, you know, chips fell the way they did. And, you know, it allowed Connor to come back in the game and, you know, pull an, pull an amazing comeback. I mean, I think Bruce caught the game-winning touchdown. They Their kicker missed uh, missed a field goal right at the end that could have either put the game away or tied the game up. I'm, I'm not sure uh, what exactly it was. But that game was – it was freezing cold. It was a night game. And it was obviously – it was a, a must-win situation for us, being that they were a team in the East and – they were a team that, you know, it was – at that point, it was them, us, and Georgia coming out the East. And it was just a game that we, we had to have, getting on the road, a night game. We knew that, you know, we had to bring that extra fire with us because if not, we'll, you know, we'll eventually fall and become the third team at, at, at that time. So we knew that we had to come out and, you know, start off fast. Made a few uh, big plays early in the game. Uh, and then things slowed down for us. We got down, and then we ended up, you know, coming back and kind of did what he did and put on the show, and we won the game. No doubt. So, again, the 2013 season ended on a very high note. You guys beat Mississippi State, beat Florida. Again, I mentioned in a game where you had three catches for 69 yards and one specific long play, I remember, where you go up and just absolutely moss a guy. I love that highlight. But – uh um, the game I want to talk about is the 2013 Clemson game. You know, obviously at this point you've learned, you know, 
you talked about it earlier, but you, you kind of figured out what that game really meant, the hatred between the two sides. But 2013 Clemson, you guys beat those guys pretty good when you're fifth in a row. What did it mean, I guess, just after the game? And knowing that was senior night for a lot of the big-time guys, you know it's probably senior night for a guy like Davion Clowney. Like, what, what did that mean to get a fifth straight win over your, over your hated rival? Oh, uh, it, it was great. I mean, going into their stadium, going into, you know, their home and, you know, being able to play as well as we did. And I think that that's the game that Dylan Dylan started and played the whole game. And we didn't expect him to play at all. He came out and played, played well and led us, you know, essentially we beat him with our backup quarterback at the time. And, you know, obviously the next year he, he went on to be, to be the starter and did great things. But uh, that game was it was a, it was a different feel. We knew that you know this is the last game of the season for us, and we knew that it was a big game. Obviously, been our rivalry game, but not having our our leader in kind of Shaw that game, it, it you know kind of gave us a different feel. But once we got got rolling and Dylan got got back there and felt comfortable with you know with the protection and with the with the throws and stuff like that I mean we we clicked I and mean, things ended up working out well for us and uh we ended up coming out with a uh, win that game no doubt so as a pass catcher as a guy on offense you know I talked about the transition from Garcia to uh to Connor Shaw was was there anything different anything you had to change with your game versus uh you know Connor Shaw and Dylan I, I know Dylan obviously extremely talented had a great year in 2014 but what were maybe some of the differences of playing, you know, with Connor Shaw versus Dylan Thompson? Um, both great quarterbacks, both with, with amazing arms. Uh, the difference I would say between those two guys is Connor was just a little bit more mobile and um, than, than than Dylan was. I mean, I knew that you know if he broke down, Connor could make a play with his feet, but if the play broke down on Dylan's part. Then he would have to make he would have to make the play with his arm. So just you know, those guys are great in their own ways and have a niche at what they do and stuff like that. You know, one guy's a better runner. One one guy's maybe a better maybe a better passer. So you know, quarterbacks are different. You know, players are different. It's just you got to make adjustments. Uh, you know, and, and <clears throat> excuse me, you got to make adjustments on the fly. So. You know, it wasn't it wasn't too bad switching over to to Connor. We, I mean, to Dylan, knowing that you know, I think he had probably a stronger arm at the time than than Connor did. So we felt comfortable in the past game, especially as you know, receivers and tight ends. You know, we knew that uh, no matter what, Dylan had to make the play with with his arm. You know, and Connor had the uh, the versatility to do do other things with his feet, which extended the play in different ways. For sure. So you guys go into 2014 again. You win the 2014, uh, I believe it was the Capital One Bowl against Wisconsin. Um, you go into 2014, you know, you're into your senior season. You, you know you've lost a ton of guys, but a ton of talent coming back. South Carolina's a preseason ranked top 10 team. You're going to a huge showdown against Texas A&M, the debut of the SEC Network, all that good stuff. I mean, going from 2013, 2014, in, in your honest opinion, I mean, did you – did you expect any sort of drop off, um, you know, from the success you guys had had the first three years? Because I know from the fans' perspective, you know, it it kind of felt like one of those things where you're like, hey, you know, you lost some guys, but this train's going to keep rolling. I mean, Dylan Thompson's very capable. We already seen what he can do. I mean, I think as a fan, yeah. you sort of just kind of assumed, like, you know, you, you 
you, you felt like you were never going to lose again. You know what I mean? But like as a player, did you did you expect any sort of drop off after you lost all those talented guys in the NFL? Absolutely not. I mean, I think we had guys that um that came up behind those guys that that went on to play in the NFL, and those guys passed on their knowledge to to the uh, to the young guys that were coming up behind them. So I felt comfortable. Literally, I was 100% comfortable going into the year. You know, I had no worries thinking, you know, that we were going in, you know, going to, you know, do what we do. You know, we was 11 in, in two for three years in a row. So why would I expect anything different, you know, my senior year? Especially, you know, knowing, you know, it's my senior year. You know, a lot of guys that I came up with, this is our last year to go out here and put on the show for, for, for our family, our friends, and, and, and for the fans. So we didn't – we had no doubt in our mind that, that we would, you know, be a, a, a you know, a contending team for the uh, SEC championship that year, but things didn't work out the way we expected. So, you know, we, we I think we ended up seven and six by the by the end of that year with the ball game. So mm. things just didn't go the the route we intended it to go as well as, you know, similar to the years previously. For sure. Well, one game I do definitely want to highlight, I already mentioned a little bit earlier, is the 2014 South Carolina-Georgia game. You already mentioned the game that was delayed an hour and a half by lightning. And, I mean, honestly, it turned out to be one of my favorite South Carolina games ever. I was in the building. It's a game I always love going back on YouTube and watching because it was on, it was honestly a great football game. Back and forth, both teams yeah, scoring. A lot of drama. One of your best games in Garnet and Black, five catches, 67 yards had a touchdown where you go over the top, catch the, catch the touchdown in the back of the end zone, thought it was a great play. But uh, just talk about that game in general. I mean, again, I know it had to feel really, really good after 2013. You guys went to Athens and just missed out on beating them. Um, I'm sure it had to feel good as a senior, you know, being able to get that win over Georgia, you know, on, in Williams-Brice and, you know, have a touchdown in the process. Oh, yeah. Um Going back to that game, like uh, like I mentioned, that was the game that we had the lightning delays, and you know they kept saying, "Oh, we got another twenty minutes." Then that twenty minutes come by, and they say we have another. So, I mean, a lot of guys were laying around. I mean, I I I think I took like a quick fifteen minute nap before that game, just because it was so many lightning delays, and you know our emotions was getting so high, getting ready for the for the game to start, and then you know the the time to get extended again. So we was a lot of up and down before the game. Then we finally got out there. The the weather was sunny. It was nice. It, it was a little wet, but, you know, everything was, was just how we wanted it. And we came out there and, and played play well. I mean, I, like I said, I, I uh, caught a touchdown uh, in the end zone over the top of a defender, which happened to be my buddy, uh, Marlo Herrera from Georgia. And uh, I got a chance to train with him coming out, of, uh, coming out for the draft um, that year. And it was funny because, you know, I would always mess with him and pick on him about that catch. I mean, even knowing, you know, if you look at my IG now, I probably got a picture of me uh, going over the top of him. He probably some somewhere down in the comments uh, saying something crazy. But, you know, that game was a, a special, special game for me. You know, beating Georgia at home my senior year. I mean, I couldn't ask to, you know, to go down any other way. I mean, I had, I had a, a great game. You know, I felt good about what I did, I think. That was uh, I use that as momentum to to finish out my the rest of my career. 
Yeah, yeah, I was, South Carolina, so. yeah, I was gonna say Amarlo Herrera. I, I remembered specifically the guy you went over. I was like, he, he was a pretty good player in his own right. So really, uh, oh yeah, really great, good great play. player. I think it definitely makes it even better that you guys are friends because I know you probably give him a ton of shit about that every time you see him. <laughs> oh yeah, man. I uh, I think I think our uh, I, I think somebody mailed printed that picture off and had to sign it if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> just just to, just to mess with us, but you know. <laughs> We we sit back and talk about that, you know, when we catch up. I mean, I I spoke to him maybe a few weeks ago, just trying to catch up with him, see what he had going on and stuff like that. But you know, we always I'm always look back at that as a memory. You know, one of these days I, I'm gonna either get it, you know, a, a blow up of that or get a, a a picture painted of that and have it up in my home one day. <laughs> There you go. Well, your 2014 season, again, your South Carolina career did end on a high note. You guys beat Miami in the bowl game. Um, NFL draft rolls around, 2015 NFL draft. You're taken in the seventh round, 254th pick overall with the San Francisco 49ers. Just talk, I know, as a guy that obviously went on to play big-time college football, you know, that's something that was probably a dream of yours your entire life. Just, just talk about what it felt like when you got the call and you were selected by San Francisco. Man, I was uh... – just home with my family and you know uh uh to be honest I was kind of upset the, uh, during the draft because I, I thought I expected to go a little a little higher than I than I went but you know things worked out the way you know the, the exact way it was supposed to you know just sitting at home with my family you know eating good having you know having a good time just waiting on my name to get called I finally get the phone call and you know they're, they're, they're calling me from San Fran like you know we're going to take you with the next pick. And I was just overly excited with emotion. I was happy. You know, my family was around. I mean, the rest of the night ended up being amazing after that. I mean, it was a dream come true. You know, a kid that has been, you know, running around playing football since he was five years old. You know, I always had dreams and aspirations of uh, NFL, NFL career and stuff like that. And, you know, finally got my chance, got my call. And, you know, everything – went on and got out there to San Fran my rookie year and you know things didn't go the way I expected which I'm used to the up and downs and stuff like that I mean battling with injuries and stuff like that which eventually slowed down and or sort of ended my career in a sense but you know I, I got a chance to go back to school finish my degree um, I got a chance to coach uh, at the collegiate level, I mean, I've done a lot of things since uh, since my playing days, and then also I got a chance to play again this past uh, this past year with the with the new AAF before it was uh, unfortunately uh, discontinued. So I mean, you know, going on after the draft, things were just amazing. You know, living my dream out there in California, and I never had been to California a day in my life, so. You know, going to a new environment, going to a new city, new people was just an amazing feeling. And then I was, you know, able to do something I love doing. So it couldn't have been a better a better situation for me. No doubt. I was going to say it had to be really cool, too, that the 49ers also drafted Mike Davis. I know they took uh, – they signed Dylan Thompson. Bruce Ellington was there. So definitely uh, a couple of Gamecocks with you for sure. But uh, Oh, you know, yeah. That, that was – go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I know that had to be a really cool feeling to have those guys you played with in college with you in the NFL as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, a guy like Bruce who was there uh, prior to 
uh, me, Mike, and Dylan's arrival was was just a great feeling. You know, going to a team where you already knew guys. So I mean, it wasn't like you had to make new make new friends all over again, and you know, just start all over. You already had guys that that you knew already on the team that had friends and that you felt comfortable with, you know, it's just a different, you know, meeting new people, new environments and stuff like that. You know, not everybody is just uh, the same. So, I mean, it was an amazing feeling going in there with my quarterback, my running back and my receiver. So, I mean, we had essentially, you know, our our, our core offense right there in, in the NFL together. No doubt. So, yeah, I mean, again, your NFL career in that first year, you did catch a touchdown pass in the preseason game against San Diego on September 3rd, 2015. Um, But when you look back on your NFL career, again, you bounced around from the the Niners to Chicago to Buffalo, uh, which eventually led you to the Birmingham Iron of the AAF, which I want to talk about in just a second. But when you look back on your career in the NFL, what what do you think – what do you take away the most from it? What did you learn? Um, Just learning to adjust on the fly. I mean, you know – Going in, you know, guys have a a false sense of what the NFL life or job is. You know, a lot of, a lot of the outside world don't really understand. You know, the time, the the dedication, the perseverance that you got to have going into, you know, going into something like that. It's not a regular. It's not a regular nine to five. This is this is your life. This is your livelihood. And a lot of people don't don't realize that, especially you know. You know, when you sit back and listen to the media and the things that they say about players, like these, these are these people's lives on the line. You know, so with that being said, is I look back and I learned that you know, just adjusted on the fly, I learned I learned a lot of things just that I didn't realize at the time that I know now. And I look back at those situations like, you know what, you know, a couple of years ago I I didn't have that same mindset. Now and now I have a, a totally different mindset. And I wish I would took you know a few different avenues a few different approaches but like I always say you know you can't you can't uh change the past and you know you live with live with everything that 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 you did what went on stuff like that and you know fortunately uh I got in Chicago and uh ended up having a knee surgery and that's kind of that's kind of what I guess pushed NFL teams away from re-signing me and then um I guess the following year after I had got um got healthy from from that knee injury uh got a chance with buffalo but it was you know it was the last preseason game so it was just more of a uh for a numbers game than it was uh, an opportunity which which kind of disappointed me because i had put in a lot of work to get back healthy to get back to you know my get my body back in the plan form mm-hmm. and you know finally getting picked up and you know thinking that i was you know I got picked up the last preseason game uh, by the Buffalo Bills and thinking, oh, I was on the least signed practice squad and things didn't work out. Uh, and after that, didn't really have too much opportunity. So I went back to school and got my degree and stuff like that. And like I said, I went on to coach and got back in the plan and stuff like that. So it's been a roller coaster ride, but I mean, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I was going to say it definitely sounded like, you know, you hear it all the time that the NFL is a business, the NFL is a business, you know, professional sports are a business, but it definitely sounds like you're a guy that, I mean, you learned that certainly firsthand, I would say, without a doubt. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you you, you learn that quick, if you don't learn it uh, at all, you'll, you'll learn it quick. 
Because it's definitely business, you know. You have a mindset going in, like, you know, it's your dream, but you got to take the business approach as well. It can't just be a, okay, I'm going to play football. This is this is about you. You know, this is how, how you're going to feed yourself, feed your family. You got to take that serious. And a lot of people, a lot of me, every, we, we all take it serious, but, you know, people don't realize, like, how serious, how serious it is, especially, you know, guys fresh off the draft going in and, you know, getting drafted and stuff like that. You know, you you on a high horse at that point and not really realizing that, okay, this is a real business. Yeah, once I get there, I'm back at the bottom of the totem pole. I got to work back. I got to get back and, and, and work harder because the guys been in, been on that team or been in the league, you know, nine, ten years. They've been doing this nine, ten years. You're a rookie coming into the NFL, you know, thinking that you're going to be the guy and realize, okay, if 50-something other guys on the team that that think the same exact way. No doubt. So, so yeah, like you mentioned, August 2018, you joined the uh, joined the staff at Assumption College as a graduate assistant. Um, what did you I, learn? Um, I, Go ahead. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I I, I was n- exactly I was not a graduate assistant at all. I was a just a receivers coach. Oh, gotcha. Uh, I, I've, I read I read up on that in an article. I'm like, they thought I was a, a grad assistant, <laughs> but. I, <laughs> If I was a grad assistant, I would have just probably stayed in South Carolina and been a grad assistant there. Uh, I, I got an opportunity um, from a from a former uh, grad assistant by the name of Tommy Gop. He is now the uh, officer coordinator up there at uh, Assumption, and I and I thank him for uh, allowing me to start my coaching career uh, at Assumption as well as uh, Andy McKenzie, which is the head coach up there. Those two guys gave me the opportunity, you know from a guy with no coaching experience to, you know, come in and be able to, you know, handle a room of 17 guys, you know, and me being on the younger uh, spectrum is, you know, it was a little different approach for me than it was some of those guys who've been coaching for years. So it was a, a learning curve. I uh, learned a lot, you know, about the game that, that I did not know just from the playing side. I mean, coaching was probably one of the best things that I, that I could have done for, for, for myself. And uh, eventually when I got the opportunity uh, to play in the AAL, I looked back and I realized, man, you know, going up there and, and coaching for a year really benefited me, you know, just as a as a player. Because I didn't realize how much I learned as a coach that I didn't understand as a player. Just because you just, you know, as a player, you're just used to doing your job, doing what you told, making sure you're handling your business. So, you know, the uh, overall understanding of what's really going on it's not really something that you're really worried about. But now when you get on the coaching aspect, you got to see how our parts move as one. So I think that that benefited me a lot and, you know, allowed me to be able to go out there and make the roster and make the team. And, you know, unfortunately, like I said, it got shut down. So, you know, back to the drawing board. No doubt. I was just going to ask. It's funny. I was reading up on it, like you're mentioning that you you actually faced off against uh, Coach G. A. Mangus that first game when you were with Assumption. But as far as coaching as a whole, I mean, is that something that uh, you're looking to do? If you know, as far as if playing, maybe after you your playing career is over, is that something you'd want to do? Is get into you know get really heavily into coaching? Yeah, I mean, I always um, I always wanted to to be a coach after I after I finished playing. I mean, I always wanted be able to get the game back to to the younger generations, the younger kids, because, you know, growing up, it wasn't – didn't always have a guy like myself that would come back and, you know, excuse me, tell the kids how, you know, 
the real life experience is what really goes on in, in the college scene, the, the NFL scene. Cause like, you know, like I, like I said earlier, you know, people have a false sense of what it really is. So I just try to try to, you know, get these kids uh, to understand, like, you know, you gotta, you gotta put all the time and all the effort into, into your, your schoolwork and, and your, and your sport. Cause at the end of the day, you may not, you may not finish your career uh, as an athlete in, in college, or you may not make it as a pro. So it's just things you gotta, you gotta sit back and realize you gotta make plans for the future and, and do things for you, not just because somebody told you you was good at it. No doubt. So like you mentioned, again, you get an opportunity with the Birmingham, Birmingham iron and the AAF, which I think is a, you know, was a great league, obviously did a lot for a lot of guys. Obviously we had a guy like, Elliot Fry on our show did something, you know, did wonders for him. He just signed with the Chicago Bears. But, you know, obviously, mm-hmm. I think it's been interesting. Obviously, the league sort of just shuts down out of nowhere. I mean, we, you know, you heard some things, I guess, during the season about certain funding. But I know I certainly didn't expect the league to shut down the way it did. And I've read a bunch of stories on guys, like, the ways they found out and just kind of sort of the shock and guys being, like, thrown on the street. I mean, for you personally, what what was it like to get that call? I mean, I'm sure again you were shocked as well just to hear that the league had been completely shut down. Well, yeah, it was uh very it was very disappointing for for everybody. You know, luckily I was a guy who was close by. I was right there in Birmingham and you know, it's nothing but two hours for me to get to get home. So luckily I was in a position where I had my vehicle and when the league shut down, I was able just to jump on the road and come home. But, you know, for guys, I had guys on the team that was from California and stuff like that. So when the league shut down, you know, obviously, you know, guys end up, they end up having to kick guys out of these hotels that they had everybody in due to the fact that that these hotels were not getting funded any, any more money from the league. So it kind of left them up in the air. You know, they had a, they went from a, you know, a hotel full of full of players to to those guys having to leave all at once due to the way in which the uh, the league folded, and so to dive more to dive more into how the league folded. So I think after after the first game, there was a talk. Uh, there was talk about the league um, running out of money. So you know, guys, you know we we go through the first game. And um, we're getting ready for payday, and the paychecks don't drop. So, you know, guys are trying to figure out, you know, what's going on and, you know, all type of stuff, trying to see, you know, where where's the money, when it's going to get here. Uh, so we just go about it. Then the next week comes, and we play our game, and we still haven't got our check from the first game. So we, like, you know, kind of we, – we all at, you know, unease at this point. And trying to figure out, you know, when when we gonna get paid and stuff like that. You know, granted, guys, you know, like for myself, I I was coaching. I I could have still been coaching at the time, but I I dropped everything I had going on to pursue my dream again, getting a second opportunity. And I think that's what that's where I hurt a lot of people at because you know a lot of people, I guess, stuck their neck out in a sense because they quit what doing what they were doing to pursue their dream again for it to collapse in the way it did. So when the guy explained that uh that the that the money was running low, it was a guy, not sure who he is, he invested his two hundred and fifty million into the league and then finally everybody received paychecks. You know, things went quiet. So, you know, things were cool running up as normal after we got our money. 
And then, you know, right the week before the league ended, um, the guy who was the majority owner of the league threatened to shut the league down uh, due to uh, the NFL and the NFLPA not cooperate with some demands that, that, that he wanted. So, you know, that last week we finished and having our last game, that, that last game that we end up having. So then that following Monday or Tuesday, I think it was, that's when, you know, you got that call saying, you know, it's, it's over with, you know, everything's shut down and team meetings and clearing lockers out and, and stuff like that. It was just, everybody that, you know, just shocked. Wow. <clears throat> wow. I, I, it's funny. I don't think a lot of people know about kind of what you were talking about in the beginning, guys not getting paid for, you know, multiple weeks. I, I think that's something you don't really hear on the outside. So that's, no, that's crazy to hear. Um, as far as your personal yeah. career, you know, Busta, what's, uh, what would you say you think is next for Busta Anderson as far as maybe on the field, <clears throat> on the field coaching, playing, what are you thinking? Um, right now, I mean, I, I did, uh, I signed up for the XFL just because it was something that uh, as soon as, as soon as the league collapsed, they were they were offering to sign guys. You know, just fill out applications, stuff like that, or sign up. So I'm gonna sit sit back and you know continue to continue to pursue my uh, playing career and, and working out and you know trying trying to get back in the door. But uh, also, um, I'm in the process of starting my own foundation where I'll be uh, mentoring you know kids and stuff like that. Just trying to get give back to the community, try to uh, get more involved with some some more community events and stuff like that. And also, um, also have a uh, photography business that I'm that I'm uh, launching this summer. And I'm I'll actually be uh probably come up to the Columbia area at at some point. So we could, we uh where are you you in Columbia, correct? I'm actually in Charlotte, North Carolina. So, but I'm, I'm always down in Columbia. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, the next time I'm up in there, we gotta gotta get together. But um, back to what I was saying as far as my photography business, um, I've been into photography for a while now. I I, I got into it due to you know traveling and stuff like that, playing in the league. I was like, you know, I wanted to document you know stuff and just have stuff on record. Then things went you know the way it did. I got more dived into it because I had more free time, being that I wasn't playing ball and stuff like that and I made a decision that uh I wanted to you know make a career out of it, something that I enjoy doing and something that I always took me away from the game uh when I needed to get when I needed to be away from the game so in in the, for instance like when I had my knee surgery and stuff like that you know obviously with with any any guy any any athlete when you're not doing what you love doing or what you think that you're supposed to be doing you 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 find different different things to to redirect your attention some sometimes it can be negative sometimes it can be positive and i you know i had some things that uh i had some things that were going on and i needed to you know just get myself together as far as you know find out who i am outside of the game and you know shooting and uh you know being a photographer and stuff like that you know allowed me to find myself and allowed me to you know find something I love outside of the game. So, I mean, if y'all follow me on Instagram, underscore uh, Buster 88 and also I have my photography um, Instagram that I just recently started uh, this this past week. Uh, the name is MVP Studios ATL. 
Awesome. Well, yeah, everybody go follow that for sure. I'm, I'm definitely going to follow that as well. But uh, now I was going to say selfishly, very, very excited. Would love to, as somebody that wants to see one of these independent, independent leagues outside of the NFL work, uh, would love to see you in the XFL because that, that is something that, uh, you know, I, I know fans are very excited about. Would, would love to see you in that as well because I know they're trying to bring it back and get it going. I, you know, just to have more reason to watch would be great. But, uh, you know, lastly, yeah. before I let you go, Busta, obviously this is a Gamecocks podcast. I want to ask you, uh, what would you say is your favorite memory from South Carolina? And if you want to add in any funny stories from your time in Columbia, maybe some Steve Spurrier stories, uh, you know, feel free to share those on the airwaves as well. Uh, overall, I, I love South Carolina. I love the state. I love the fans. And I appreciate y'all accepting me as one of your own. And uh, I never forget my, my time that I, that I share with, with you guys, with my teammates, with my coaches at, at South Carolina. And anytime I'm back, you know, feel free. Feel free to hit me up. I'll, I'll be back around this year for some games and stuff like that. But uh, I say a funny, a real funny story that ended off. It was one day we were, uh, we were down at the ball game and, it was just a lot, a lot of stuff going on. We just got, we just got done with practice. It was probably pouring down, raining, and stuff like that. One thing that we that we like to do a lot is mimic Coach Spurrier's voice. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure everybody done <laughs> done tried it and stuff like that. And uh, one thing I would say he would always get on me about is let me think. One thing I would say he get on me about, especially as a as a young guy, is just like route running and stuff like that. He's he like, ah, but you can't you can't run the corner the way I want you to. Yeah, got to got to get you up here, stem it to the left, stem it to the right, and break on to the corner. So it's just like stuff like we we mess around and you know joke around with Coach Spurrier in the way he talks and stuff like that. Just just funny stuff like that. I get on the phone and call call my buddies that I play with and just sit back and have a good old conversation about Coach Spurrier and going over to his house uh, for. I think it was like during the summertime we played like a he was big into like a egg tossing game, mm. which you know none of the players really really cared that much about. But it seemed like it was something that you know he really loved doing every year. So we just went ahead and, and did it for him. It was it was funny because a lot of guys you know no nobody really into egg tossing. But if you see the, if you seen the look on his face, man, when we played this every year, it, it man it brought joy to him having the guys around his, his home. Shout out to Miss Jerry, the greatest, the the greatest wife uh, that that a man could have. Because without her, Coach Spurrier wouldn't be where, the man who he is today. She she did a lot for us as players, especially when on our birthday she made cookies. If we were down, she 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 checked on us. She was out there at practice. I honestly love Coach Spurrier, Miss Spurrier, and I appreciate everything that they've done for me. No doubt. Yeah, Jerry Spurrier, obviously someone that's uh, very, very well-known. Like you said, I don't think Coach Spurrier would be where, uh, where he got to and where he is now today without her. But, uh, but no, yeah, definitely very, very funny stuff as far as I know playing for Coach Spurrier, especially being, a, being an offensive guy. We've obviously had some guys on our podcast that played for Coach Spurrier on offense and have definitely heard, I guess, the horror stories from the film room. If you, if you messed up the following uh, Sunday or Monday was certainly uh, – Oh, man. You certainly weren't going to do it again. So. Sure. Yeah, you definitely wasn't gonna do that again. And if you messed up that one time, he probably he probably couldn't remember what he ate earlier that day. But he remembered that exact play for the rest of your career. 
no matter no matter if that happened your freshman year and you a senior or it happened your sophomore year and you a 10-year vet, he always going to remember that one exact play that you messed up on. That's one thing that does not does not leave his mind. Well, I would say the good thing for you is my, you, you didn't have many mess-up plays in your career. I, I would, From what I remember, at least, I, I think most of your plays were, uh, were positive. So I'm sure, that's, uh, I'm sure that helped the relationship out with you guys. I mean, oh, yeah. But, I mean, just like anybody, I had a lot of mistakes and a lot of times where I was the guy that day and he, he's, you know, drilling me that whole, that whole film session – so I've been in that I've been in that position to where to where he's drilling me and nobody wants to be there. No, <laughs> trust me, nobody wants to be in that position. It's 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 no fun for you. It's no fun for your teammates. It's just it's all bad. No doubt. Well, yeah, Busta, appreciate you taking the time, man. Obviously, everybody that's listening, if you've done so, go follow Busta Anderson on Instagram as well as his photography photography business. I know we will. We'll be following along with. Uh, you know, whatever happens, if the XFL or the photography business, or if you get back in coaching, obviously we'll be following along. But, Bust, appreciate you taking the time, man. It was a pleasure. I definitely appreciate you having me. Once again, uh, shout out to all the South Carolina Gamecock fans, man. Go Cox. Absolutely. So, for Busta Anderson, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next week on another episode of the Spurs Up Show. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.